Psalm 127. 127. We're, uh, we're getting there. Through the Psalms of Ascent. Let's not forget that the word ascent means to step up, to go up in elevation, climactic progression. And so all of these psalms not only are reminding us of what the pilgrim worshipers were doing physically, they were leaving their homes and they were going up to Jerusalem, but there was the hope that they would also be stepping up spiritually. That what these psalms were teaching and instructing them about would be very teachable in them drawing closer to the Lord. Now tonight, this is one of my favorites. Um, It is the only psalm of ascent that Solomon wrote. You'll notice there in your heading, in your Bible, it should say a psalm or a song of ascent by Solomon. And as I titled this psalm, How Worship Banishes Anxiety, I don't think it's any accident that Solomon's name means peaceful one. Peaceful one. This psalm is trying to bring us to a place of peace and rest in the Lord. This psalm has so much in it, even just for, you know, five verses. It's going to talk to us ultimately about putting first things first in our life. To trust the Lord, to rely and depend upon Him and not on ourselves. Now, not that we sit back passively and don't do anything, but that ultimately we are trusting the Lord even in our activity. This psalm is going to talk to us about prosperity and productivity, it's going to talk to us about safety and security. All these things are wrapped up in this psalm. So I just want to read these five verses and then give you a little of the context for it, and then we'll dive into it tonight. Solomon writes, If the Lord does not build a house, then those who build it work in vain. If the Lord does not guard a city, then the watchman stands guard in vain. It is vain for you to rise early, come home late, work so hard for your food. Yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Yes, sons are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Sons born during one's youth are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They will not be put to shame when they confront enemies at the city gate. Now the context here is this. Remember, these folks were leaving their homes and they were also leaving their fields. This was primarily an agrarian society so that their welfare, their well-being, the way they fed themselves and their families and everyone around them was obviously tending to their land. And yet three times a year, God called them and required them to leave that behind and to come to Jerusalem and to worship Him. And the reason why that's significant is God is saying to His people that quit worrying about 
what's going to happen the couple weeks that we're gone? God is saying, you worship me. You put me first. You get to the house of God and actually things will go better for you, you see. Instead of, you know, well, God, I've got to stay back here because I can't afford two weeks or three weeks or whatever away. You know, how are we going to make it? I can't afford to be off that much. And God is saying to his people at the times in our life, especially where we think we can't afford the time to pray and can't afford the time to be in his word and can't afford the time to get to church is exactly the time we need to. More than ever. Because God is saying to his people, you put first things first in your life. You worship me. And I'll bless your efforts more than you could ever imagine by you trying to sort of stay in control and not trusting me that if I'm asking you to do this, if I'm calling upon you to do this, I'll take care of you. So that's the backdrop of why then in verse 1, Solomon says, If the Lord does not build a house, it is only the Lord that can truly make something strong and prosperous and profitable and productive. It is only the Lord that can establish something and set something up. And when he says, if the Lord does not build a house, he's not just talking here about a home and home life. He's talking about anything. He's talk- if the Lord doesn't build a church, if the Lord doesn't build your business, if the Lord doesn't build your personal life, if the Lord doesn't, you know, build whatever you're trying to do that particular day, if he's not in it, then notice what the psalmist says. He says, then those who try to build it apart from the Lord work in vain. By the way, the word work means to labor and toil very late. In other words, it's not that, you know, they're not putting forth the effort. They're putting forth a lot of effort. The problem is, many times we're trying to put forth all this effort, but God's not a part of it. And God is saying to his people, Why don't you put forth just as much effort and be diligent, but then make me a part of it. Make me the very center of what you do. Worship me first. Put me first. And you'll be amazed how productive and prosperous you can be because I'll bless all of your efforts, you see. I will make sure that, you know, Your fields yield more than you could ever imagine when you go back home after you've been in Jerusalem for a couple weeks. You see, building something. What is it right now maybe in your life that you and I are trying to build, that we're trying to establish, that we're trying to set up, that we're trying to grow, that we're trying to produce, that we're trying to accomplish? And maybe God is saying to us, Are you doing that hand-in-hand with me, or are you putting forth a lot of effort, but I'm not a part of it? And maybe things would go better if you chose to worship me first, and put me first, and put first things first, and then all those other things. Is that not exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33? Seek what? First, the kingdom of God. Then all those other things will fall into their rightful place. So often, even as followers of God, 
we make time for everything else, and somehow, if we've got the time, then God comes in there. And God is saying, why don't you put me first, worship me, make time for me, get to church, get praying, get praising, get in the Word, and you'll see how much better things will go. Keep your finger there in Psalms. And probably the best way to describe it, if you're not familiar where this little book is, I want you to go to the book of Haggai. Uh, turn to, get to find Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and then go left a couple books, back through Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and then you'll come to Zechariah, and then you'll come to Haggai. It, it's such a small little book there at the end of the Old Testament coming the other way might be a little bit harder. So find Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, back through Malachi, back, back through Zechariah, and then you'll come to Haggai. And the reason I want you to turn to Haggai tonight in chapter 1 is this was the problem that was plaguing the people of God even in Haggai's day. What was happening was they were so focused on building up their own little kingdom and their own home and stuff that they were neglecting the house of God. And notice what God says to them here in chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. The Lord who rules over all says this, These people have said the time for rebuilding the Lord's temple has not yet come. In other words, there's always something else to do. So the Lord spoke through the prophet Haggai as follows, Is it right for you to live in richly paneled houses while my temple is in ruins? Here then is what the Lord who rules over all says. Think carefully about what you are doing. I love that. God says, Will you take time to think about what's happening in your life right now? Because you're not putting first things first. You're not putting me first. Worship is not the priority. Your little kingdom is the priority. And so notice what's happening. Verse 6. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you're never filled. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. And those who earn wages and end up, end up with holes in their money bags. What a great picture. God is saying, because you don't put me first, all this you know, money that you earn and that you work so hard for, just, it always seems like there's something else that just keeps coming and just keeps taking it. If you would put me first, maybe your you know, financial situation and your satisfaction and fulfillment in life and the things that you would do would actually end up being more satisfactory to you. But because you're not making me the priority, even what you do does not satisfy or fulfill you. In spite of all that you have, because you're concentrating on your kingdom rather than seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's exactly then, if you go back to Psalm 127, what Solomon is saying. When he says, unless the Lord builds the house, it doesn't matter how much effort you and I put into something. If the Lord isn't a part of it, if he's not the priority, then we can work and work and work and toil until very late. And yet it seems like we can't accomplish as much as if we didn't have as much time and yet somehow put the Lord in his proper place. I can tell you from my own life that principle is true. And many times I have violated that principle. So I don't, I don't want to act like I always do this. I'm, I'm telling you, I learned my lesson many times. I might think, like, I just don't have time, God. And then it seems like the day gets away from me, and I don't get 
near as much accomplished as if, even if I feel like I don't have the time, if I make the time for God, it's like that little bit of time that I have left, I get so much more done because I put God first. That's what Solomon is saying here. That's the that's the mindset, the principle, the perspective that Solomon's trying to get across. He's saying, don't worry about being productive or prosperous and all that. Put the Lord first and you'll realize how much more you get done and accomplished and how much more God blesses you and favors you with the time that you have. Then he talks about protection and security and safety. Notice he says in verse 1, again, a big thing. We all worry about it. We're all anxious about it. We're not only anxious about prospering and and productivity and making sure we've got enough, right? We're also very much anxious about our security and the security of those that we love. But the Word of God says, if the Lord does not guard a city, if the Lord does not keep watch, preserve, or protect the city, then the watchman who stands guard over the city to be on the lookout, to be alert to anything that approaches, it's in vain. Even if the watchman goes sleepless, even if the watchman is always awake, God is saying, you trusting me to preserve and protect you is better than anything that you could try to do. Now again, God's not against us, you know, using our brains and just being, you know, realistic about the world in which we live and, you know, locking doors and all that. But the bottom line is that I still have to lay my head on that pillow at night. And ultimately, I'm not trusting in locked doors or security systems and all that. I'm trusting in the Lord. Because he's a better protection and preserver than anything that you and I could do. And the problem is that when we don't trust in the Lord, we can still do all that stuff to try to make ourselves feel secure and protected with us and our families and our friends and our churches and everything else. And yet the bottom line is, if God's not in it, we still worry. In other words, God is saying, It wouldn't matter how much you do, if you're not ultimately trusting in me, you're still not going to be, feel secure. You're still not going to feel safe. You're still not going to feel protected, because I've got to be the one that you trust in for your protection. I've got to be the one to trust you, to trust in building something as well. Again, this was very timely, because these people left their home. So a couple things here. First of all, as I've told you before, you know, they could be robbed or mugged or even murdered on their way to Jerusalem as pilgrim travelers. So there was always that as these families left, you know, making sure that they were trusting God to protect them from their homes to the temple in Jerusalem. But then they also had this other, if they left everything behind, they had to trust God to watch over and protect what they left. Because many of these folks did, could not afford to have like servants left behind to sort of like watch, you know, be a, be a house sitter while they were in Jerusalem. So when they left to go worship the Lord, they had to just leave their property and all their belongings and everything behind except what they could take to Jerusalem for a couple of weeks. And they had to trust God to protect it and watch over it. And God again is saying, if you put me first, first things first, and you trust in me and believe in me that I will watch over you and protect you, 
then I'm better than any watchman you could hire to watch over your stuff and even be alert and sleepless in that moment. Is there something tonight that you're anxious or worried about as far as protecting it, keeping it safe? God is saying, do your due diligence, but ultimately, don't put your trust in anything man-made or in yourself or anyone else. Put your trust in me to guard what is a treasure to you. Then he says this, verse 2, It is vain for you, ultimately pointless, to rise early, come home late, work so hard for your food. Now, he's not, God is not saying, don't work hard. That's not what this is saying. Tying it in with just what we talked about, and then later on he says, yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Here's what God is saying here, a couple things. One, he's saying, so many people work so hard to try to make everything right, you see, and provide and be prosperous and productive and all this, and yet, in spite of working so hard and working so late, they come home at night and they still can't sleep. They still can't sleep. Because their mind won't shut off because they're truly not resting and trusting in the Lord for all these details of their life. So when they go to bed, they still can't rest. God says, how awful is that? You're not only driving yourself into the ground because you're working so hard, thinking, I've got to work so hard so that, so that I can you know, feel better about everything. So then why don't you feel better? Why don't when you lay your head on the pillow, you just not, you know, not off. No. Because I'm still, I can't let it go. Because ultimately I'm not trusting in the Lord to build whatever it is or to guard whatever it is. I'm trusting in me and I'm trusting in circumstances outside of my control and I'm trusting in other things and God says, trust in me. And then he says, when he says, I love this, he says, and cannot God provide for those he loves even while they sleep? The psalmist is reminding us that even when we sleep, and God will give us who trust in him sweet sleep, sweet rest, sweet refreshment while we sleep. And one of the cool things is when we go to sleep in the Lord that way, God is saying, you realize because I don't have to sleep, I'm going to be working on your behalf even while you're resting. I'm going to be working behind the scenes and I'm going to be doing things so that when you wake up and maybe it's in a day, maybe it's in a week, maybe it's in a month, but you're going to find out that I've been doing all this on your behalf even while you slept. Again, but that's trusting in the Lord to begin to work on things even when we sleep so that we can sleep, so that we can lay down our head on the pillow at night and sleep. So again, these first couple of verses all about productivity and prosperity and security and, and safety and strength even. Because again, only what is established by God is truly strong. But then he moves to the whole concept of children. And yet, it's not just about children and parents and grandchildren here. There's a bigger principle here. And I want to show you that tonight. 
It's about Christians, again, trusting in the Lord enough that they are so strong that instead of living their life in hiding and retreat, we live our lives as followers of God, advancing and on the offense rather than the defense. And you see that here in this description of children. Notice what he says in verse 3. Yes, sons are a gift from the Lord. You know what he's saying there to parents? They're not ultimately yours. They're mine. They're mine. You're just to steward them and manage them for a while, but they're really mine. They're a gift to you. And your assignment as parents is to make sure that you build them up to be strong and mighty in my kingdom. Well, in order to do that, look what is required. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In other words, he's saying when we see our children grow up to be mighty and strong in the Lord, that's our reward for all the work done, all the faithfulness, all the hard work of parenting. Then notice what he says in verse 4. Sons born during one's youth are like arrows in a warrior's hand. I love this. You know what he's saying? Arrows is literally an offensive weapon. In the Hebrew language, it's the word lightning bolt. He said, do you realize that your children are to be built up in a way that they can be offensive weapons for the kingdom of God? And God obviously understands with parents, grandparents, and everyone else that that what that requires for all of us is that principle of trusting Him that they're ultimately His and that He can take care of them. How often do parents, instead of encouraging their children to live, in a sense, in that kind of a bold, courageous, offensive way for God, what do we try to do? We try to shield them and hide them and and put them, you know, in always, you know, safe place. And again, I'm not saying be reckless as parents. I'm talking here about spiritual things in the kingdom of God and being an offensive weapon and looking at our children that way. And he says they can be arrows in a warrior's hand. It means one who's strong and mighty because a parent or grandparent or anyone is not going to even think about their children being offensive weapons in the kingdom of God unless they are strong and mighty. Because how can you and I build strong and mighty children if we're not strong and mighty? If we're not ultimately trusting in the Lord ourselves, then we cannot instill that trust and, and that courage and that boldness in our children. If we live in fear, our children will pick up on it. If we are anxious, if we're not trusting in God, our children, unfortunately, will grow up to be that too. You and I need to exhibit that we truly trust in the Lord and we're not living in fear and that I'm not building you up as a child or anybody else to be on the defensive. I'm building you up to be on the offense in the kingdom of God. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
Weapons which the Father can wield in battle. And then he goes on to say, they, speaking about the, in this specific context, the father and the children will not be put to shame, confounded, or disappointed when they confront enemies at the city gate. The gate, the place where it all takes place. Will there be enemies? Will there be opposition? Absolutely. It's what we've been talking about even through our... We've got to be strong people of God. Churches have to be filled with strong, mighty people of God. And the church has got to stop thinking of itself as passive. It's got to start thinking of itself as offensive. Not in a, not, not in a bad way. I, I mean on the offense. Advancing. Let me take off on that word gate and follow up with that. In Matthew 16, Jesus turns to his followers and says, hey, who do people say that I am? And of course, Peter spoke up and said, well, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My, My father revealed that to you. And because of that confession, Peter, that is what I'm going to build my church on. That rock. And I will build my church. And then what does Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me ask you a question. Are gates offensive? No. No. Gates are not offensive. Gates are symbolic of, of where the power, though, is, is going to be concentrated because if gates are breached, bad news for a city or anything, right? I mean, the gates were what was fortified. They, they had to protect the gate because if you broke through the gate, if there was a breakthrough in that, that was the stronghold. That was the place where all the troops were concentra- concentrated, at the gate, And Jesus is saying, I will build my church. I will build up my church. I want to make my people strong and mighty so that as they advance towards the gates of hell itself, the gates will be broken down by my people. See, the church isn't supposed to be passive. It's supposed to be on the offense against the very gates of hell. We're not supposed to be intimidated because the Lord says, you can do this in me. You can break down the very gates of hell. Paul said, resist the devil and what will he do? He'll flee from you. Again, not because of us and the power that we wield, but because of the power of Jesus Christ in us. We're going to talk more about that on Sunday. We can resist the devil. And then, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. You see, the reason why worship banishes anxiety is because, first of all, 
we won't put first things first if we're trying to control things ourselves and not turning them over to the Lord. And then when it comes to people, even us, I mean, not that this is all that it is, but I think about how many maybe parents over the years and grandparents try to discourage their own children because of fear of being missionaries or being in ministry. Oh, you don't want to do that. You want to do something safer. You know, don't be a worship leader. Don't be a pastor. Don't be a missionary. Don't go into full-time. No, anything but that. Sometimes the very people that, you know, should be encouraging our children that are truly the Lord's and, and that they are arrows in the hands of mighty men. God can use them in great ways as offensive weapons. We discourage children. And just a couple weeks ago, our worship leader, Nicole, reminded me of something when we were talking about this, that you realize, she said, Jeff, that when children get the Holy Spirit, they don't get a mini Holy Spirit. They get the same big Holy Spirit that we do. That's true. You know, we, we somehow like think, oh, they're just children. Yeah, but in the hands of mighty people and under the direction of those a little bit older than them, whether it's parents, grandparents, people at church or whatever, children can be unbelievable lightning bolts in God's hands. And we have lost that whole mentality because we live in such fear and anxiety and worry and care all the time rather than truly trusting the Lord to build the house and trusting the Lord to protect the city and everyone that we love in it and all of that and leaving it in God's hands. We have lost that to where we begin hiding and retreating rather than advancing towards And we wonder where the power is in the church. And the power is in our Christian life. And Paul even said to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not demonstrated in idle talk, but with power. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 3. Paul said, for though we live as human beings, we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down what? Strongholds. Strongholds. See, God's weapons can tear down any stronghold. It can tear down the very gates of hell. Do we believe that, my friends? And then you'll notice what he goes on to say. He goes on to talk about our thinking. Because many times that's what holds us back. He said, your imagination, your speculation, in other words, all the what-ifs, that's what it is. We sit there in our own thinking and sometimes we drown in our own thoughts and we talk ourselves out of things or we talk ourselves out of things for others because we start speculating. And God is saying, "I I can tear down all those things and I can bring every thought in your brain into the captivity of Jesus Christ. And you can become convinced as a follower of Jesus Christ that God's power through His supernatural weapons can tear down any stronghold in your life and anyone else's life and can even assault the gates of hell itself. It is time, Solomon is saying, to his own people, for the people of God to stop living in fear 
to stop living in retreat and to start realizing that you and I contain within each of us the very Holy Spirit of God, the all-powerful God. And there is no stronghold, no challenge, no wall, no obstacle that stands in front of us that with God's weapons and God's power in us, we cannot tear it down. And God wants us, if we do have that opportunity in our, in our lives, as parents and as grandparents, and even as a church, to make sure that we are not modeling before our children and our teenagers a life lived in fear and dread and terror and anxiousness, but that we display before our young people and our children a confidence and trust and belief in God. He can build it. He can guard it. He can provide. He can accomplish it. He can do it. And instead of backing up, we're going to move forward. Are you with me? Let's move forward in the power of the Lord. And let's start putting first things first. That's what Solomon is saying. Just when you think, I can't take the time for God, that's when we need to make the time for God. We put first things first in our life, and we'll start to see much more prosperity, much more productivity, much more being accomplished, and even maybe less time because we've given God first place. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this tremendous psalm tonight. What great reminders from the wisest man who ever lived. And Lord, it was only because you gave him that wisdom. You entrusted him with that. Just as you entrust us, God, to carry the Holy Spirit in our bodies, our physical bodies, just as you entrust us with your power inside of us, just as you entrust us with children and grandchildren and friends and family and fellow believers, God, may we exhibit, God, such confidence and trust in you that we stop living our lives in retreat and that we start advancing that we realize, God, that you said you would build your church. You would make it so strong and mighty that the gates of hell couldn't even stand against it. That even if Satan and every demonic force stood at that one gate, we have the power through our Lord Jesus Christ to tear it down. Because we have the power, according to the Word of God, to tear down any stronghold that stands in our way. God, I don't know what strongholds these folks may be dealing with in their life, but I pray they go away from here tonight, God, encouraged to just keep trusting in you and see those strongholds in their life come down. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.